let's praise him. <laughs> Come on, let's worship him. Thank you, Jesus. I have a feeling that this is a little bit about what the rapture is going to feel like. I know that it's going to happen in one sixtieth of a second, the twinkling of an eye, but is it even possible that just moments before that trump sounds, God's people are going to start feeling something just like this all around the world? They're going to start feeling something rise up within them. In the marketplaces, they'll just break out in praise. In the airplanes, they're going to break out in worship. On the subway, they'll break out in praise. And then it's going to happen. Praise God. Come on, this is what this is all about. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, you have your liberty in the Lord. Use it. Jesus. Come on, there came a sound from heaven. 
That's a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house. Hallelujah. You want to dance so bad you can't stand it, but you're afraid somebody's going to look at you. You want to get out of that chair so bad, but you're afraid what somebody might think. Well, I'll be glad we get over that stuff. Thank you, Jesus. We are enjoying ourselves in your presence. If they can shout and scream with some guy running down a field with a football under his arms, I can shout and scream because my God came down from heaven, took on a human body, and shed his blood for me. Now that's something to shout about. Come on, church. Our sins are under his blood. Every mistake we made, every foul word we said, Everything we ever did is under his blood. And you know what else? The devil can't do anything about it. Woo, hallelujah. I know we're still messing up, but his mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, some of y'all looking at us kind of funny, but I got a word for you. When you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to act just like we do. You're going to act just like we do. Thank you, Jesus. And I don't know what to say. There's so many things racing through my mind right now. We're just not going to get in a hurry, I know that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
at the gym that I go to, when you go in, I don't know what's in the ladies' locker room, never been in there, but in the men's locker room, they have a, a separate room with the heat turned up. It's called a steam room or sauna. I don't know which is that because I've never been in there either. But I know it's hot in there because I have been in there in those before. Where we are right now, we're, we're looking into that hot room. We're, we're trying to decide whether we're going to go in there or not. But I'm praying that God turns up the heat in this place today so that he will override some of our carnality, some of our inhibitions, some of our fears, so that we will receive everything that he has prepared for us here today. Thank you, Jesus. We need to take care of some business if our ushers would come. Uh, for all of you while they're coming, that remember Sister Marie Farino, remember Sister Farino? Well, I got a call last night. She is uh, on her deathbed right now. She's at that point. And uh, I don't know if I'd pray for her to stay or not. I mean, think about it. She's in her 90s. She's a few breaths away from streets of gold. Do you want to get in the way of God? I don't. Uh-huh. Ooh, Red. When the worst when the worst happens to us, we'll wake up in heaven. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We got it pretty good, don't we, church? Ah, Lord. So we're gonna pray for the family. Pray that her passing is is easy. And uh, she's probably going to see Jesus pretty quick, and I wish she could send us back word. We're just going to have to wait till we get there. Now, I know there are needs in this place today. I know some of you are not feeling so well, have pain in your body. We talked a little bit about it in the back room just before we prayed about what it's like to get old. where we're introduced to something new almost every single day. My favorite expression is, where did that come from? So I know we, we need God to do something in, in all seriousness. Financial issues, family, I mean, the list is endless. And I know that God can and will uh, do something while we're here in this room today. I want us to pray for those needs and that God will receive our offering. He'll receive our offering. <clears throat> now, I might be a little out of line, which is not that unusual for me, but all this giving online stuff, the pastor can rebuke me later. I have broad shoulders. The people need to see God's people giving. They need to see the men of God in this church walk down and put something in that offering pan. They need to see the preachers in this church walk down 
I've already put mine in, in the offering pan. But with all this online giving, we don't know if the leaders of our church are giving or not. We don't know if the men of God in our church are giving or not because we can poke two buttons and that's done. I think we need to stop some of that when we're able to be at the house of God and we need to walk down here by faith. It's part of our worship. That walk is part of our praise. It's part of our experience with God, the joy of giving. You understand what I'm saying? If I'm in trouble, I guess I'll have to deal with it. They're trying to take the joy from us. They're next, they're, they've already come out with the Hallow app. You don't need the Hallow app. You need the Acts 238 app. They're trying to take our joy from us by using an iPad or a telephone. Nuh-uh. This is part of our experience in giving. And I've always made it a point, this was me personally as pastor. I wanted the church to know I'm giving. Here you go. I might be putting in an empty envelope in there. <laughs> I actually did that one time because I forgot the offering my wife laid out for me. So I put one in, I think, with a little note to Sister Taylor. It's coming. Coming. I'm glad the Lord has helped us to lighten up a little bit. Lift our hands and pray right now, Jesus. We rejoice in you. We're not going to let the world take our joy, our praise. We thank you for what you are doing in this place. We pray for Sister Marie's family, for her. Her passing will be joyful in the Lord, that the angels of God will receive her. We pray that what we give today is not just, uh, just out of discipline or obedience, that we're giving cheerfully and joyfully, and that you will receive not only what we give monetarily, but what we give in praise and adoration to you as well. In Jesus' name, God bless you where you come. We have a few announcements. We'll make them uh, momentarily. <clears throat> Sister Taylor, did you put the announcement up here for me? She, Sister Taylor finally figured me out. She put it in neon paper <laughs> so that I would see it. So anyway, there's no service here Thursday night because it's district conference. A lot of us are going to be there at conference and so on. So uh, just enjoy the evening with your family. Uh, check online for the events that are coming up but next Sunday we're going to have praise in the park we're going to be at Lakes Park <clears throat> I think it's 11 o'clock by the way and I think this would be a good time to thank God that it wasn't today <laughs> uh, must be the Lord we're working these things right in between all these cold fronts and rain and everything so that's a good thing. If you direct your attention to the screen, Ezekiel chapter 37.
I have uh, prayed sincerely <clears throat> that I would not let God or you down today. Worship is an incredible experience, irreplaceable by nothing, but we need to hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Ezekiel 37 and 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. I want to talk to you today for a little while. I'd say a few minutes, but that wouldn't really be true because a few is three. Uh, I want to talk to you about the boneyard. I'd like for you to greet one another, greet our guests, those that are not normally a part of us or with us. Make sure you greet people, get around, shake their hand. It's all right to tell them I've come to hear a word from the Lord because that's what we came for. Good to see Taylor and Tristan. Amen. Been a while. God bless them. Okay, break's over. <clears throat> I was watching a service from Maryville, Tennessee a week or so ago, and Brother Erickson was speaking, and uh, he had everybody do what we just did, and there's so many people, kind of got out of hand, he almost had to cancel the rest of the service. In the fifth chapter of the book of Judges, <clears throat> it's written that when Ehud died, Ehud was one of the judges of Israel, said the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. If you've read the book of Judges, you have read those words uh, over and over again. And so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, and for the next 20 years, God's people were subjugated to his empire. When the children of Israel began crying out 
unto the Lord, the spirit of Deborah, the prophetess, was stirred within her. When God's people began to pray, that's a good point, isn't it? When they began to cry out unto the Lord, the spirit of the prophetess was stirred within her. In Judges chapter 4, 6, and 7, she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinahim, out of Kadesh Nephtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Nephtali, and of the children of Zebulun, and... I will draw unto thee, now the, 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 the prophecy comes forth. And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. Barak believed Deborah. He answered the call, and the rest is history. So it's written in the 23rd and 24th verse of Judges 4, so God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Following their glorious and triumphant victory over their tormentors, the spirit of prophecy comes upon Deborah once again. Now she breaks out in song and begins to sing the prophecy that God gives unto her. Within this song, she reveals how God, after 20 agonizing years of oppression, called her, Deborah, the prophetess, to the battle. We'll start in the middle of this song in Judges 5, verses 10 and 12, where it says, Speak ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way. They that are delivered from the noise of archers, in the places of drawing water. There shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of his villages in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Verse 12 is of special interest, where she sings these words, Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. She reveals in this song what occurred within her spirit when she heard the voice of God say, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake. The Hebrew word for awake is er. It's a verb meaning to stir, to arouse, and to awaken. 
Now the scriptures place great honor upon Deborah for having the faith and for having the courage to accompany Barak onto the field of battle against tremendous odds. And I'm not here this morning to tarnish her image and I'm certainly not here to ruin her reputation. But the truth of the matter is that Deborah had capitulated to the massive size and strength of Sisera's army for 20 long years until one day, until one night, she heard the voice of God awakening her to another possibility. I don't know if God awakened her from her spiritual slumber or from her fear or if he awakened her to a possibility that was simply beyond anything that was she could possibly imagine or that which was beyond the scope for the understanding of her faith. But I do know that God woke Deborah up. And that's when revival began. That's when revival started. When somebody woke up to the possibilities that was in their God. She was unquestionably stirred enough to not only enlist Barak and other men to assist him. But she was stirred into a realm where she had never gone before. God is sending a similar wake-up call to the church today. Not APT alone, the church. He is sending a wake-up call. And it's so easy to turn over and go back to sleep. But I want you to know God is speaking to you right now. He is speaking to individual saints, calling them the ministries, to prayer lives, to intercession, to enter into the realms of the spirit and to into dimensions in the spirit where they've never been before. He's not just speaking to the fivefold ministry. He's not just waking up those that, that, that are at headquarters in Weldon Springs, Missouri. He's not just speaking to the prophet anymore. He's speaking to the man and woman of God. Anybody that will listen, wake up. Wake up. Awake, O oh man of God. Awaken, O oh woman of God. And so the Bible says in no uncertain terms, and if this has not been written for us, then nothing else ever has. Romans 13, 11, and 12, and that knowing the time. Does anybody know what time it is? Does anybody know we're at the end time? And knowing the time that now, 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 not tomorrow, not next Sunday, not next prayer meeting, right now, right here, this place, this time, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. There are a lot of saints of God that are sleepwalking. Doing the same thing they've always done, the same way they've always done it. I'm going to tell you right now, church, if we're going to go beyond, it's going to take you into realms you have never been before. 
If you're going to go beyond, it's going to take you into dimensions. And it will not be easy to get in there. But it's in there that God is calling us. It's in those realms that God is calling his church. Because it's got to be more than mediocre. It's got to be more than status quo. It's got to be something burning in the house of God. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. This is not written to, the, to unbelievers. This is written to Holy Ghost filled people. Those that have been baptized in the name of Jesus. It's been written to this generation. And I believe that we need to heed the call. When the Lord woke me up this morning, I looked at the clock and I had determined to get up at a certain time. This was 30 minutes before that time. And I thought of rolling over and going back to sleep. And I thought, yeah, but if I do, what if I don't wake up when I want to wake up? So I got up. And I thought I'd be tired by 12 o'clock. It just turned 12 o'clock. I thought I'd be tired by, by now. But worship rejuvenated me. It was, I'm, I'm going to tell you, the anointing of God will, will take care of a lot of stuff in your lives. A good season of prayer, speaking in tongues, interceding, weeping before God. It'll, it'll, it'll cure a lot of stuff going on in your lives. It'll fix a lot of things if, if we will just do that on a regular basis. In the 11th chapter of John, we're introduced to a man. This man, uh, as far as we can tell, did no particular great exploits, but you'll know him by his name. His name is Lazarus. Uh, we learn very quickly the first verse where he is mentioned that Lazarus is sick. Since he's brought up, yeah, he's a sick man right now. John 11, 11 says, these things said he, uh, that's Jesus, in a conversation with his disciples. And after that, he saith unto them, he said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. He's asleep. And they, they knew he was sick. And now Jesus said, he's asleep. And, and uh, he says, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Does anybody see a? theme emerging here I'm gonna go wake him up because he's sleeping and uh, the disciples said Lord if he's asleep isn't that good isn't that a good thing he shall do well right Howbeit Jesus spake of his death but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep if you have really read and studied the Gospels going into the book of Acts, do you realize it's almost until the day of Pentecost they didn't have a clue what was going on? Jesus preached, or Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost was for all, as many as the Lord our God shall call, and yet it shocked him to his shoelaces when Cornelius received the Holy Ghost 10 years later. They spoke things that they did not even understand when they spoke them. 
Then Jesus says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But this tells us something. Because it tells us that to us, he's dead. But to Jesus, he's just asleep. It tells us there are things in our lives that have expired and gone. They're dead to us. But not to him. To him, they're just asleep. To him, they're just waiting for somebody to wake them up. Opportunities are gone to us, but not to him. To him, they're just sitting there waiting for somebody to get hungry enough for a move of God. Hungry enough to go wake some things up, to stir some things up. This applies to us. Because some things are buried under a mountain of yesterdays with no hope of ever being resurrected. What does dead mean to us? It means that there are things that have been placed in a vault of granite. The door has been slammed shut and sealed forever. That's what dead means to us. But it means something else to him. It doesn't mean that. To him. Some of us are sitting here thinking that there's a graveyard with a bunch of tombstones with our past and, and with things we missed and so on and so on. Uh-uh. That doesn't exist in God. Only to us. Dead to us means there are things that lie entombed in the soil of impossibility. But on the very day that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I want you to see what he said to Martha in John eleven twenty five. 25. He said, Martha, I'm leaving some stuff out that we don't need to read. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. But what does this mean on this particular day to you and I? It means that nothing in Christ is ever dead. You hear me? Nothing in him ever dies. It's just waiting for him to awaken it within us, just like he awakened it in Deborah. Now, I realize that I do not have the eloquence, the education, or the verbal means to wake you up. That's going to take the Holy Ghost. But I hope that there are some things that are said that will open the door, pry the door open a little bit so that God's Spirit can actually really speak the awakening words to you. When it comes to revival... Some people believe that the best is behind us. But this bishop is not ready to write the epitaph just yet. I'm not ready to place a gravestone over the possibility of end time harvest. Nor did I come here as a mourner this morning over that which has passed away. I did not come to grieve 
over the absence of spiritual gifts. I did not come here to write Ichabod over the door of our church or the door of any apostolic church. I did not come here today to lament over unoccupied prayer rooms, although it would be easy to do. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mourn over that which I know is not really dead in God. He can breathe life into that. He can bring that back to life. He can fill that room. You know what I was doing in the prayer room this morning? I was thinking, God, I remember when this room was full. Not full right now, but you know what I'm looking for? When this room is not big enough, and we got to trek up them stairs to the big room upstairs and fill that room with prayer warriors and intercessors. I didn't come to mourn over who wasn't there. I didn't come to mourn over who didn't come and pray. I came to speak life. But I know I can't do it. It's got to be the Holy Ghost. It's got to be God's Spirit that speaks these things into His people. And I mean, I'm not stirred up. I am stirred up everything deep within me. And I hope by the end of the service that I am not alone. There's some other folks in here that are as stirred up as God has stirred me. Because the God that we serve is not just able to resurrect things that have passed away. He is the resurrection. He's not just able to breathe life in the things that have expired. He is the life. A while ago when we were worshiping, getting crazy in the Lord, you have to forgive me a little bit. I was thinking about if we did this in a denominational church, what they would think. Thinking about denominational churches around our city that have never done this, have never experienced. Not being judgmental, I, I grieve over that. There have been many times when I have been in the spirit, when I have prayed while weeping, I wish my sister could feel this just one time. One time. And I know that you know what I mean. Was that a time when Jerusalem laid in ruins? <clears throat> Israel had been cast off by God. Ezekiel is carried out in the spirit and set down in the midst of a valley that was full of bones. These bones were what was left over from an army that had been massacred. And they represented, at least in Ezekiel's vision, the fallen nation of Israel as well as the appalling spiritual state or condition that the nation of Israel was currently in. <coughs> what Ezekiel saw in that valley was at one time a great army with mighty men of valor, courageous men, but that army had been decimated that army had been defeated. 
The reason was because they had departed from the living God. And God let them go out there in their own strength. And in their own strength and ability and skill, it was not enough against a voracious enemy that they faced. And so they were defeated. They were literally broken. Uh, They were dislocated, disjointed, and their bodies were scattered over the countryside, which eventually became bones. And as time went on, these bones just fell apart. These skeletons fell apart. By his own hand, the prophet wrote that what he saw, there were very many bones. Wants us to get the picture. Very many bones, and they were very dry and had a move of God in, in decades. They were very, very dry. The chances of that army ever living again was beyond zero. I mean, it wasn't one in a trillion. It was, it was there were no chances. They weren't just dead bodies that needed to be resuscitated. They were bones scattered everywhere. They were not even connected. And so there were no chances of this army ever living again. You see, that's what the enemy tells you when you're facing impossible situations. There's no way. Uh, There's no way. The chances, look, we're not... We don't live in a casino. We don't bet on life. Our trust is in God. That's a sure thing. And so this is where the problem lies because uh, probabilities, there's this big thing about sports betting in Florida. I don't get any of that, but it's going on. Probabilities are based on calculations that are nothing more than mathematical formulas But God uses a math that we're unfamiliar with. Brother Magamo, we don't understand God's math. You probably get calculus. I I can't even spell it. God uses a math that we are unfamiliar with. And so when you're calculating, taking a risk for God, if you really have faith, there is no risk. It's a sure thing. There's no guarantee you're going to succeed, but even when we fail in God, he takes care of things, doesn't he? But you have to love Ezekiel because when when God asked Ezekiel, he says to him, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, he's looking at these bones. Man, I mean, it's a mess. And God asked him, son of man, can these bones live? I'm going to tell you, his answer is priceless. I'm glad he didn't ask me. Can these bones live? Because we'd probably go, "Uh, yeah. Because the question posed, Ezekiel, had a yes or no answer, right? It's either yes or no. Either they can or they can't, Ezekiel. What are you going to say? So I perceive, when I'm reading this, that after God asked Ezekiel the question, there's a long pause. And then he says, 
Thou knowest, O Lord. I, man, I wish I'd think of that answer sometimes. But then the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy or preach to these bones, and he even told him what to say. He's supposed to say, Oh, ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, ye dry bones, hear. See, that takes faith because they don't have ears at all. <laughs> I'm going to tell every preacher in the room, if you're going to preach something, you better believe it. You better be living it too. Because if you preach anything you're not living, you're a hypocrite. Lord, help me get off of that right now. Those skeletons that were bleaching in the sun, I want you to know that was the devil's trophy case. That anybody that's seen that open valley full of bones, it was a message saying, see what happens when you don't do what I tell them to do? It was a message from the enemy, and it testified to the breath of Satan's power, and that no people, not even the people of God, was beyond his reach. See what I can do? First of all, he did not do that. It was the hand of God that caused this defeat, this demise. So for years, we've done our best to avoid the boneyard. Because in the boneyard, there's some things that we just soon leave there. Unfinished business, so to speak. You know there's some things, failures in your life that will haunt you to the end of your days unless God helps you go to the boneyard, pull them out, and replay those things in your life. For years we've made every effort to distance ourselves from battles that we have not won. And from opportunities that we have missed. From ministries that were never fulfilled. From relationships that were broken and never repaired. From mistakes that were made and yet never forgotten. And of course there is a host of other things that you know about and that I don't. And the reason is because we're convinced that there's nothing that we can do about it now. But I came here today in the spirit of Ezekiel to speak to some dry bones. You can do what you are going to do or what you choose to do, but I am going to speak to some dry bones here today. I hope you will join me, but if you don't, that's up to you. Before we go to the boneyard, we need to go back to Bethany where Jesus asked Mary concerning Lazarus, where have you laid him? Where did you all bury the body? Where did you all bury the evidence? Where did you all place this unbelief at? Where's the grave that you buried this in? When they arrived at the grave site, Lazarus' body uh, had been placed in a cave and a large stone was rolled over the entrance blocking that cave. Without hesitation, without a second thought, without contemplating the consequences, Jesus ordered them. He did not ask kindly uh, or affectionately. 
He said, take ye away the stone. It almost, I almost sense a little exasperation in his voice. The resurrection is standing with them. And they continue to mourn and to cry. They did not realize why he was there. And I think there's a lot of times when he's here, we don't understand what he's doing here. We don't know why he even came here. We don't realize he's here to heal us and bless us and lift us up and, and restore us. We think he's here just so we can feel his presence for a few minutes and then close the service and go home. He's here for so much more. And he was a little exasperated. They don't know why I'm here. Take ye away the stone. You see, there will always be things that are going to stand in your way. There's always going to be something hindering you from what God wants you to do. These things may be literal. They may be figurative. They may be emotional. They may be spiritual. And they might even be imaginary. Whatever it is, you're going to have to move that yourself. Jesus, clear the way. Oh, that's your job. Jesus, move the mountain. No, I told you how to do it. You move that mountain. Jesus, I can't because of this, this, and this. Uh-uh. I'll do what I do. Now you do what you do. There's always going to be something in our way. There's always going to be a reason why we can't go forward. There's always going to be a reason why we can't have revival. You understand that. Then as men are preparing to move the stone, Martha's shrieking voice can be heard. My gosh, Jesus! He stinks. He's been dead for four days. She didn't just say, excuse me, Lord, but you know he stinks, right? She cries it out that surely now after four days, he stinks. You see, there will always be those standing near you as you began to go forward. They're going to tell you it's not worth the risk. There are always going to be those that will be standing there to tell you, I don't know if I would do that if I was you. I don't know if I would move that stone right now. It, things are not looking good. It's not the right timing right now to, to do what you're thinking about doing because there will always be those that haven't seen what you've seen hunkered down in a prayer room somewhere. There will always be those that didn't have your dream or hasn't seen your vision, and they'll try to stop you from going forward. There will always be those that didn't hear the voice of God that you heard awakening you to great possibilities. And they'll be there. They're always there. They're always there. They will always be there. And if we're not careful, it will cause us to hesitate and question whether we really heard from God or not. Will it really be is it really worth the risk that we're taking? And so I wonder, 
it's just me. Since I'm doing the talking, you'll have to wonder with me. I know there is, there is where two or three should gather, a threefold cord is, cannot be broken. There's unity, there's cohesion, there's consensus, there's agreement. All those things are important spiritual principles. But when God took Ezekiel in this vision to the Valley of Dry Bones, he didn't take anybody else with him. He took him all by himself. Because if he's by himself, then nobody's going to put an elbow in his ribs. Think this over, Ezekiel. Nobody's going to tap him on the shoulder. There are no discouraging, contrary voices that's speaking in his ear. There are no friends. There are no peers. See, they are some of the most dangerous people in our lives. Friends and peers, not to mention family for crying out loud, family. We listen to unsafe family members. Are you kidding me? We listen to unsafe family members. I watched a message by uh, Brother Haney last week. Blew my mind. You know what he said? He said, everybody tells us not to talk politics in the pulpit. He said, I don't buy that. He said, we need to tell apostolic men and women, if you vote for parties and people that are against the things that we stand for, it's a sin. I'm just quoting him. It must be okay. You can call him up. When you vote for parties that are for killing the unborn, you vote for parties that want to take our rights away? Come on, apostolic people. So there'll be those saying, Ezekiel, you've lost your mind, bud. You're out on a limb now. You're on your own, buddy. You're, you, you, what if nothing happens? Oh, that's the worst. Well, what if nothing happens? You're going to be the laughing stock. Contrary voices that keep us from doing what God wants to do in our lives. We mentioned it previously. It shouldn't be too much longer. I kind of made a commitment to Sister Carrie, semi-commitment. There was an if in there. Goes to Bethany, he says, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. It's clear that you read the entire story here uh, surrounding the raising of Lazarus from the dead that no one, and listen to me now, no one believed he was going to do it. Nobody. Nobody. How many ways can I say there wasn't anybody, there wasn't one person, there was not a frog croaking in the night that said, oh goody, Jesus is here to raise Lazarus from the dead. There was absolutely zero faith outside that grave the day that Jesus went there. 
So when Lazarus come hopping out of the grave, wrapped in his grave clothes, that's all he could do, everyone was shocked. They were stunned. Beyond expression. This is astounding because it's common knowledge that faith is the currency of the kingdom. And we have addressed this so many times without faith. Hebrews 11 and 6, impossible to please him. He becomes believe that he is. He's rewarded them to differently seek him. He couldn't do many mighty work, miracles in Galilee because of their unbelief. The faith is vital. It is so very important. And I want to stress that. And I, I don't want to diminish that reality among us one iota. But some of us will avoid going to the boneyard because we feel like we don't have enough faith. We will avoid going to the altar. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we avoid the altar. But one of the primary reasons is because we don't have faith to break through the haze of humanity, that wall of flesh that's between us and that victorious experience with God. You understand that, right? When Ezekiel preached to the bones, I'm going to ask you the question. Did he have faith? No, he didn't have faith. He answered, Lord, you know. He preached to those bones out of obedience. The gentleman that called me last night, I never met him before told me about Sister Marie, but he knew a lot of the same people I knew. Uh, he knew the Elder Frenos, uh, and uh, Brother and Sister Frino, our pastor. He knew them. And so something occurred. I, I've testified about this before, but uh, one afternoon between Sunday morning and Sunday night church, my wife and I was wrestling over a piece of chocolate. Literally, I'm serious. And my back went completely out. And I, I cannot move. So she calls Brother Inns, another minister, young minister in the church. Brother Inns, they call Elder Frenos. I'm in my boxer underwear. And in marches Sister Ferino. What's the problem here, Brother Roos? <laughs> I thought the problem was my back, but now I've got another problem. <laughs> You'd have to know the Elder Frenos. <laughs> That's the way they were. So in marches her and her husband, Elder Frino, and Elder Frino and Brother Inns, they stand me up. And I cannot, I literally cannot touch my toe to the floor. I'm dangling my feet. They're holding me up. I cannot, if I touch my toe to the floor, that pain shot right up my back. 
And while they're holding me up, Elder Frino says, Brother Bruce, dance. One of Ezekiel's friends was there and said, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and then he did the ultimate. He said, all right, stamp your feet on the floor. I want you to know that I obeyed what that elder told me to do. Did I have the faith right then? I had some emotions going on, but none of them was faith. <laughs> I stamped my feet on the ground and I was in church that night several hours later. If you will obey the Holy Ghost. Obey the Holy Ghost. Things will happen. So I bring some good news to you. You that are weak in faith right now. You've been fighting battles. Your back has been up against a wall. You're weary and well doing. And it's in John 11, 1 through 5. It's the beginning where this whole story kicks off. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany of the town of Mary and of her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. She didn't say, come We've been praying. we got great faith going on here. It's busting out everywhere. No, she said, come because you love him. Don't come because we believe. Come because of your love for your friend, Lazarus. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby but here it is again you do understand there's a power of repetition in the scripture here it is written again now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus now that's not enough for you if that does not send the message all the way when Jesus got to the gravesite the shortest verse of the Bible says he wept. He wept. Now, he wasn't weeping because Lazarus was dead and gone and wasn't coming back. But he was weeping. And when they saw him weeping, they said this, Behold how he loved him. So I really have a message for some of you here today. When your faith is faltering, you have to trust in the love of God for you. When you can't call on his name because faith is breaking out in your soul and you are convinced that there are angels that are dispatched at the speed of light. They're on their way right this very second when you can't muster that in your soul. You have to rely on something that's just as powerful and just as great. You have to rely in his love for you. His love. If you stand with me today.
I had planned on going down a whole path here about relationship because God loves everybody, right? I'm not going to go into the depth I intended to, but God loves everybody. So just because he loves Lazarus, that's, what's the big deal? It's almost to the point of harping now. Almost to the point of begging. Pleading with you to not just go to church, but have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, the reason it says four different ways that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was because he had a relationship with them. It is so important that you have a relationship with God. A close, personal walk with him. Because God loves you so much, he wants that more than you can possibly imagine. So, musicians, please. Musicians, please. Right there. I know that some are, the uh, gas tank of faith might be low. We do understand that sometimes we have to go through things when he seemingly withdraws from us and we can't find him like Job said. I looked on the left, he wasn't there. I looked on the right, he wasn't there. Before me, he wasn't there. He wasn't behind me. I couldn't find him anywhere when I needed him the most. Well, Job, there's a reason for that and you'll understand it later. Sometimes we just can't feel God and it's a part of our experience, our trials. It's a part of how he strengthens us and builds our faith. For some of you, you the, the faith meter might be a little low this morning, and um, I want you in a few minutes when you have the opportunity to not act on faith if that applies to you. I want you to, I want you to move simply because you know that God loves you. In closing, Nehemiah heard that God's people in Jerusalem were in great distress. I'm going to shorten this as much as I possibly can. When he discovered from someone who had been there the, the, the plight of his people, the Hebrew people, the wall was still in ruins. The gates were still just uh, burnt uh, coals of what they used to be and uh, he wasn't just moved I'm going to use a saying and expression that's not necessarily written here in the word but it is true nevertheless something awakened within him and uh, he received permission from the king he was the king's cup bearer I believe it's Artaxerxes is the way you say that and uh, the king allowed Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem. He was going into trouble, by the way. He was going into danger. He wasn't, he wasn't going to a revival church. He was going to a backslidden church. 
was going where there were problems and, 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 and stuff going on. Knowing as bad as the city was and the spiritual condition of those that were occupying the city, he did not go there to perform the last rites over the city. He went to Jerusalem, hear me now, for two reasons. Yes, we're going to rebuild the walls and restore the gates. But more important than any of that, and this is never talked about when Nehemiah comes up, Nehemiah went there to restore the dignity of God's people. To restore their dignity because sometimes we just, we just get stripped of dignity. And we feel so beat down and beat up. Life just has a way of shredding us and breaking us into pieces. We keep reminding ourselves and reminded from the pulpit that we're the children of God, but we don't feel much like it. Because while this is great, we walk out of here and we face problems at home or, or problems with finances or problems on the job or all that stuff that's going on out there. I want you to know that God is here to restore your dignity. Praise God. So the boneyard, not a place of lamentation. Don't cry over the bones, Ezekiel. Not yet. Not till you see what God is getting ready to do. The boneyard's not a place of regret. It is a place of restoration. So when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth. Why did he call Lazarus by name? Because if he just said, come forth, it would have been like the southern border. <laughs> Here they come. Katie, bar the door. So here's what I want to tell you before you come to the boneyard today and let God restore some things in you. It's okay to call some things directly because we may not want everything that's in the boneyard to come back. There's some things in the boneyard we just as soon leave there. There's some things that God don't want to bring back to life. But you know what you want out of that boneyard. I hope you do. You know there's some things you need out of that boneyard to restore your dignity in God, to restore your testimony. I don't know what it is. I don't really even have a clue what it is. But I know that that's a place where God restores our dignity. And so as you prepare in your mind whether you're going to come today, and I know everyone won't, but that's all right. I just want to remind you that sometimes faith fails. But thank God Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 13 and 8, charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. 
You know what I see? I see some of God's people at an altar with a hand lifted up just like Peter did when he was sinking in the water and Jesus reached down. He didn't say, you dumb bunny. Don't you have enough faith to even get here? What's the matter with you? No. Come on, you you did your best, Peter. You did everything you could do to get to me. You, you, you had enough gumption to get out of the boat and you might have taken two steps. That's good enough. Come on, brother. Come on up here and stand on this water with me. I can see Jesus reaching for some of you right now at this altar because he loves you. Please, without further ado, would you come to bow, prostrate, stand. It does not matter to God. Come to this boneyard. If you ask me, do you think these bones are going to live? I don't know, but I'm going to speak to them anyway. I'm going to speak to them anyway. I can't tell you I'm the man with the plan or with all the answers, but I'm going to speak to those bones in my boneyard. I'm tired of them haunting me. I'm tired of the gravestones that speak of my defeats and my failures as I'm trying to walk with God. So I'm going to go to the boneyard. Just speak to them. You don't even know for sure what God's going to bring back to you. What God's going to bring out of that boneyard for you. That's all right. He knows what you need. He knows where you are. He knows your name. He's got your address. He knows your heart. And he knows your mind. And he knows what you're battling and what you're up against. He knows what you need. Hallelujah. Come on, let him walk through the boneyard with you. Let him pull some things out that's going to restore you, that's going to bring life to you, that's going to bring power to you, that's going to change your prayer life, that's going to change your spiritual life, that's going to change your walk with him, that's going to make all the difference, that's going to make all the difference. with God. I need that in my ministry. I need it for my family. I need it for a prayer life. I need it for a miracle. Come on, speak life to it. Don't curse it. Don't ignore it. Don't run from it. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, speak to the dry bones, speak to those things that hounded you and haunted you and challenged you. 
restored. Dignity is being restored. You slept long enough. Come on, Lazarus. You're ready. You're ready to rise up. You're ready to get up. You're ready to awaken to a new anointing. this is what he's afraid of 
this is what he fears more than anything. And this, listen to me, this is what we need to take to the park. Shouting, dancing. Unbridled praise. This power, this presence, this anointing. We need to take this to the park. need ceremony they get enough of that come on Stop it. 
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're going to have this on you all day long. <laughs> you don't wash this off. Now for the benediction. Last praise in the park was good. But next week's going to be great. This has already been deemed practice for the park. Practice for the park. Nine o'clock next Sunday, prayer in that room. If that ain't big enough, we'll go upstairs. Prayer right there, nine o'clock. You're really serious about the bones. Nine o'clock, from nine to ten, ten we go to Lakes Park. We're going to pray the power down here. We're going to worship the power down we need a move of God like those people have never experienced before. Come on, everybody raises their hands now. That used to be weird. Now everybody does it. They need to see what apostolics do when they get in the Holy Ghost. Nine o'clock. I'm not going to make you commit. Don't make me pray by myself. God bless you. Love you all in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>